giving is a real gift. Um, it's hard to articulate that, but it's easy to see. When people give, they don't necessarily connect the dots as to where that money goes. But in our the church planting, they see real fruit in this community, which is really awesome. And that's when people um, truly understand that giving is a gift to them, not just to the church. It's a blessing. Over the last several years or so, one of the ways in which we've used uh, some of those resources is to come alongside church plants in various parts of the city. Some churches you know, like ACC Downtown, the Rise Movement, um, La Familia, the Garden, all of these are our outreach efforts. It's more than just funding, it's actually mentoring new church leaders so that their community becomes healthy. When they become healthy, then they enter the same type of service work that we're engaged in. The real blessing for us is that God has used this service work to plant churches and communities that we're not touching. So he's actually multiplying the gifts that we give in order to expand his kingdom. As it turns out, when we give of our time and our resources, the blessing that comes back on us is unbelievably large. So the invitation that God gives us, he gives to you personally. When you get involved, there are plenty of opportunities to serve and you will be blessed as a result. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We're so glad that you're here today, and I especially want to extend a welcome to any visitors that we may have here from the national gatherings here today, today this past week, of the Society of Biblical Literature or the Evangelical Theological Society. We're glad that you are here worshiping with us today. I will say, though, at the early service, I was a bit unnerved because I found that there was a homiletics professor in the congregation. Homiletics is preaching, so a preaching professor there listening to me preach. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm glad I didn't know you were here ahead of time. I remember I had a retired professor of homiletics who who used to attend my church when I served a church up in Virginia, and every now and then he would pull out a little, he'd pull out a little note card and just kind of start scratching some things down, and I thought, I hope he's working on his grocery list for after church. <laughs> but whatever discipline you teach, we are glad that you're here, and we are, we are pleased that you have come to be with us today. I love November. I love November for a variety of re reasons. One of the reasons is that because a good friend of my grandfather's, Dr. Havla Babcock, wrote a great old book about quail hunting called My Health is Better in November, of course, because of quail season, in his opinion. But I think my health is better in November for a variety of reasons. Number one, we begin November with All Saints Day, and, and we think about how God has blessed us with a community of faith that stretches not only around us, but above us and beyond time. I think about all of the great things that we, that we celebrate, like Thanksgiving, and I think about stewardship and how the Lord has blessed this church. And then finally, I, I give thanks for, uh, at the end of the month, my dad's birthday. He and I share a birthday, but I mainly give thanks for his birthday at the end of November. And so it's just a great time to give thanks and to have all of that centered around Thanksgiving. Well, today is also Commitment Sunday, and if we really want to understand Christian stewardship, we have to understand it as an act 
of thanksgiving. We love because God first loved us, and we can give, we can support the work of the church because God first supported us. Every week at the end of the service, I say to this congregation, you've heard me say it many, many times, that nobody is here by accident. Everybody is here because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And today on Commitment Sunday, I want us to remember that that's true not only for us as individuals, it's also true for us as the church, that God has a plan and a purpose for this congregation within his larger church for the good and the glory, for his good, uh, for our good and his glory, and for the good of his kingdom. And so today, as we talk about our commitment, I want you to keep that in mind that God has a plan and a purpose for his church. Now, ever since kickoff Sunday back in August, you may remember, you may have noticed the prominent display of a little red symbol around the church. It's a red teardrop with one end pointed down. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but over the last several months, I've had several people ask me, Bob, what is that graphic? What does it mean? What does that symbol mean, that that red pen graphic? Well, the symbol is called a pen, like a push pen, and it's used for all kinds of map and navigation and GPS apps to mark a location on a map. And what it means, and the way we've used it, is to say that it means you are here. It denotes your location. Here at FPC, we've been using it to emphasize the importance of being here, gathered together as the body of Christ at 4th and Alamo. I think it's an eye-catching and memorable way to remind us that the Lord brought us together as his people in this time, in this place, for his purposes. But as we've also said, the pin drop can represent more than just a person's current location. It's also used by map apps to mark a destination. In other words, the pin can represent not only where we are right here, but where we are going. So where are we going? As a church, where is the Lord sending us and what is he sending us to do? And where is the Lord sending you and me as disciples? Where is he sending you? What is he sending you to do? What's he sending me to do for the sake of the kingdom? That's what we're going to talk about today on this Commitment Sunday. Today is Commitment Sunday and it's a day that we set aside annually to renew and recommit ourselves, not just to give, but we are recommitting ourselves to God's plan and purpose for this church. Not only for our church, but also for our lives and how these things work together. But it is a chance to commit and recommit and renew God's plan and purpose for us. Now this morning, as we prepare to make our and renew our commitments to the Lord, and to his work through First Presbyterian Church, we're going to turn again to the, to the Apostle Paul and hear his words to the Christians and the church in Corinth. Our scripture reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verses 10 through 15. You can find it in your bulletin. It'll be on the screens behind me. It's in your pew Bible or on your phone or in 
uh, or in your own Bible. If you, there's just no excuse for not being able to see this today is what I'm saying. But if you will, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. And then Paul continues in verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While, you, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. This fall, we have been studying 1 Corinthians. And in that letter, Paul was addressing a group of people who were brand new to following Jesus and who were trying to figure out what it means to believe in Jesus in a world that thinks that you are crazy to believe in him. What does it mean to pray in a culture that thinks that it's crazy and useless to pray? What does it mean to love like Jesus in a world that thinks it's dangerous to love and to be vulnerable? What does it mean to give and serve in a world that values only power and fame? And what does it mean to bet your life and your freedom on the promise that the resurrection is real and even if we die, we will live forever? How do we do that? So now... As we look again at 2 Corinthians, we know that some time has passed. Paul is writing to this same group of Christians some time later. It's not like our founding, which was 177 years ago, and we are generation upon generation past, but, but some time has passed. This is no longer a startup church. It's no longer a church plant. It's a, it's a mature, a foundational, even an influential church. Now, they will always struggle to survive in this pagan environment, but now they are a congregation to whom others are going to look for example, to whom others are going to look for encouragement and support. And so now, Paul is summoning the Corinthians to rise up and take their place as leaders. And he says, you know what? I know you are ready. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness. He's saying, 
you know what? I have been bragging about you to the churches in Macedonia, to the churches up north, to the Philippians and the Thessalonians, telling them about how you Southerners, the Christians of Achaia, have been ready since last year. I love it. He's just sort of injecting a little bit of, a little bit of good-hearted rivalry with them. It's, it's like on the one hand, he's saying, I know that Big Ten fans are really strong, but you SEC fans, you really carry the day. I mean, it's like, over here, you people on the left, and you people on the right, who, who's stronger? Who's more excited? I mean, it's like if I got the chant going, we've got spirit, yes we do, we've got spirit, how about you? And you started, and we go back, and then we're number one. It's kind of like that. It's nothing bad, nothing, nothing blasphemous. He's just trying to inspire them. He's saying, look at your brothers, look at your sisters. Because he knows that the Corinthian church is growing, and it's healthy. The Corinthian church is blessed with connections and resources. I mean, sure, every church, no matter how strong, has problems and challenges. And we've studied lots of those over the course of 1 Corinthians, and there are problems even in 2 Corinthians. But we have to take into consideration that the Lord has also blessed the Corinthians with the means and the opportunity to make a difference in the kingdom, both in their own fellowship and with a broader reach. As we would say it today, they are ready to serve both the neighborhood and the nations. And this is where we are too, beloved. I mean, that was right where they were then, and this is right where we are right now. Because think about it. It's fun to be at First Presbyterian Church right now. From worship to children's ministry, to missions, to church planting like Chuck Bunn was talking about, from finances to fellowship, the Holy Spirit is just putting wind in our sails. I mean, consider this. We've expanded now to four worship services. There's a, a parallel modern service going on in both of our service settings. Our nurseries are full, and our children's Sunday school is surging our halls are filled with students from middle and high school and college from all over the city. We've become a training center for new church planters and young church leaders as well as a safe place for people who have never heard the gospel or who have been hurt by the gospel can come and hear it for the first time or hear it again as though it were the first time. We're a multi-generational church where senior adults and college students and city leaders and homeless people rub elbows every day. And on any given Sunday, you might have, we might have a group traveling to the Dominican Republic or Mexico or a mission partner visiting with us from Iran or Poland. Things are good. I look over and I see our Stewardship and Finance Committee Chairman, John Bass. He's had the easiest job in the, in, in the world in the last year. He keeps coming back and telling us, we're doing great, we're doing great. That never happens. That's why he's never going to be allowed to leave that position. I mean, this is where we are. Things are good. This is our location. And it's overwhelming what God is doing here. But like the Corinthians, the apostle knows that God has more in store for us. The Lord is calling us to look up from where we are right now and see 
where he might be taking us. And of course, yes, we still have work to do, just like the church in Corinth. We are still trying to figure things out. We are still trying to make sure that people don't fall through the cracks, all of that kind of thing. But in the final analysis, this church is blessed and ready for more. And so Paul is calling to them, not in a gentle invitation, but in a summon of deep, calling unto deep, to move out from where we are to go to where the Lord is sending us to serve. He's calling us to set forth from our location, moving to the destination of God's vision. In other words, he's calling us not simply to love Jesus, but to follow Jesus. In the previous chapter, and in this one, Paul is challenging the Corinthian Christians and us to consider going beyond the horizon of our present success. He said, look at your brothers in Macedonia who have supported the mission of the gospel beyond their means, even though they are poor and persecuted. Just imagine what God could do through you. And then he said, think about what Jesus did for us. Although the Son of God had everything and was rich beyond our imagination, he trusted God and gave it all away for the sake of our salvation and for God's glory. Think about that. For us and for God's glory. In one stroke, he became poor so that we could become rich. He changed the world by giving his life away. So what is the Lord's vision for this church? Where is he taking us? Even though we are in a great place right now, I believe the Lord wants us to keep moving for our good, for the good of others, and for his glory. In one dimension, the Lord is not just calling us to make this congregation at 4th and Alamo bigger. Rather, he is calling us to develop disciples deeper. We sometimes forget that the Great Commission is not just about making new disciples, but empowering and nurturing all disciples for greater devotion and service. Consider Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Building up the body of Christ and his disciples, equipping people for the work of the kingdom is core to the mission part of our purpose in God's kingdom. It is core to who we are. We are in the disciple development business. Why? Because we are first and foremost and always in the gospel business. That unique good news which comes only through Jesus Christ. So we believe that God is real and we believe that he loves us. 
But do we really believe that God, that, that people need to take God seriously? Do we believe that it would make a difference in the world if people believed that God is active in our lives and that he hears us and that he cares? Do we think it would make a difference in the world if people believed that he's in control, even when it looks like the world is out of control? Do we believe that it would make a difference if people believed that he's actually moving the world toward his purposes? Do we believe that the truth of God in Jesus Christ can actually change people's lives and our world now and forever, not just our lives, but the people we love, those people about whom you have your deepest concerns, those people that you're not sure are ever going to know him or trust him. Do we believe that Jesus Christ can actually make a difference in their lives no matter what their condition is? We're in the gospel business. We're in the, dis- development of, we're in the discipleship development business. And we can, never, we can never set that aside or let it be confused for anything else. But Jesus at the same ta- time is calling us not only to develop disciples, but to develop deeper community by growing together, by taking care of one another. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A lot of you all know that last week I was, I was back home in South Carolina because my, my father's been battling mesothelioma lung cancer. And frankly, a week or so ago, he had a really bad week. And I just needed to be there. But nobody from staff to congregation asked well, is this really a good time for you to go? Do you think you should go? Everybody said, rather, why haven't you left yet? And then when I returned, they said, we've been praying. How's your dad? How's your family? How are you? We've been praying for you. I can't tell you what that means. I needed to be there. I wanted to be with my family. But while I was there, I wanted to be back here with you because you have loved me and Morgan, and Elle, and Bo, and my family, many of whom you don't even know, you have loved them so well. We need that community. And I think other people need it too. So let me ask you, do do we believe in small groups? Do we believe in fellowship? Do we believe in taking care of one another? Do we believe in grief support, and women's ministry, and men's ministry, and gospel community groups? Do we believe that we need one another? Do we think others need us? And do we know that we need them? That's also at the heart of who we are. But today, to kind of close out this idea, we also need to talk about the fact that he is also sending us to serve. He's sending us to serve the city, neighborhood, and the nations. The Lord is calling us to be the manifestation of his love for us, by loving one another and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. For the sake of his people, for the sake of our city, for the sake of our country, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the family, he is sending us to serve. There's a powerful story in the Gospel of, Mar- uh, excuse me, the Gospel of Matthew. One day, Jesus just took a good, long look 
at the desperate people who kept showing up wherever he went and who kept following him around the countryside like a puppy from town to town. And Matthew says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, it says he had compassion on them. Now you've heard me talk about this before, so I'm not going to go deep into this, but you know that that word compassion is kind of a lousy translation. Sorry, SBL folks who might be here. The word is actually much more graphic. It means it means he had a stomach ache over it. It made him sick when he saw what was going on. It says it made him sick to his stomach because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But then listen to this. He said, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. Consider this. When Jesus saw the problems of the world huddled before him, he said, the world needs my church. He didn't say, pray that God would fix this. Pray that God would do this. He said, pray that God would send us to do this. The world needs my church. The world needs my redeemed, restored, and empowered people. Here's what I believe. The Lord is not just calling FPC to be laborers in the harvest. He is calling on us to pray that God would multiply the laborers in the harvest. And here's where I think that God's vision for this church begins to take shape just in a couple of degrees. Over the last few years, a vision has been growing in this church that because of our history, because of our location, because of our reputation in San Antonio and, and around the country and around the world, because of our influence and the connections of our covenant partners, because of our resources, because of all of that, we are a church that God is calling to prepare laborers for the harvest. I believe we're not just supposed to support missionaries, we are to equip missionaries. We are not just supposed to support church planting, we are to empower church planters with training and theological education. We are not just supposed to teach the Bible, we are to develop young leaders and to, who will pastor and shepherd churches. We're not just supposed to make disciples. We are to disciple men and women, young and old, to be leaders and laborers, healers and teachers, builders and makers, caretakers and feeders, organizers and pioneers. And why is the Lord calling us to this vision? Why is he calling First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio to this vision? It's not because he can't do it without us. It's because he wants to do it with us. What a privilege. And why does God want to do it for, with us? He wants to do it with us for his good, excuse me, for our good, for their good, and for his glory. Paul tells us that people will see our generosity 
And because of that, they will glorify God and they will give thanks and it will draw attention to him and they will begin to trust him with their lives because they see that we have trusted our lives to him. Paul says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. November is the time that we set aside to plan and make our commitment to follow Jesus where he's following in 20, to where he's leading in 2024. It's a month for gratitude, for recognizing where we are, but it's also a month for hope as we envision where we are going. And this is a call to the church as a whole, not just to individual members of the body of Christ. So stepping back to some of the first things we talked about, have you ever noticed that when you ask Siri or plug in a destination into one of your navigation map apps on your phone, that it plots a course and it tells you the travel time, which let's be honest, that's like a challenge. If it says, you know, you, you, you know you'll arrive in like 30 minutes, it's kind of game on, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> but it, it, it plots the course and it tells you the travel time, it shows you the alternatives, but nothing really happens until you press the little go button. Well, we've prayed for direction. We're still praying. But the Lord has given us a vision of a destination. And it's time to hit the go button. The Lord is ready to send us. Are we ready to go? Paul says, God will amplify the gifts that he has already given us and that we can dedicate them to the journey. Paul wrote, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will, su will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It's time to hit the go button. In 2024, the Lord is going to take us places we never thought we could go. And right now, Jesus is calling us once again to follow me. From our current location to his glorious destination. And Paul says, I know you are ready. It's time to press go. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we come to you today, not only with songs and prayers, but with an active statement of our commitment, we ask you to encourage us we can't see all of the turns and we can't see all of the alternate routes yet, but we know that you 
have a plan and a purpose and a destination for this church. Lord, help us to press go and to follow where you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.